Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. As always, we're going to start off, as it just mentioned, uh, with another great discussion on the Coach's Corner panel, and I'm joined by a very uh, special guest uh, on that uh, panel tonight. He's, he and I are going to hold the fort down, as, as uh, we've said before. Uh, and a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by a very special guest, uh, Chris Finn. He's the founder and CEO of Par for Success. He's going to be coming on and talking about uh, various different programs that they offer through uh, their organization, so we'll have him uh, join me on the second half of the show. But before uh, we do, remind everybody that we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And if you go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and uh, tonight's uh, program, because it is live, you'll see it front and center. Uh, but for some reason, if you can't join us live, just visit that same link, uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and just scroll down to the on-demand section and it'll be right there at the top, and all of the previously aired shows will be there as well. So if you happen to miss any of the past uh, broadcasts, you can catch them all there, or really anywhere that uh, podcasts are, are found. You can go and, and find us on iTunes, uh, or Apple Podcasts, rather, uh, and all sorts of other uh, platforms as well, so you can check us out there. Um, all right, as I mentioned, my good friend and, and special guest is going to be joining me here on the Coach's Corner panel. Of course, I'm talking about Pete Buchanan. He's been a, a pretty regular here for a number of years now, uh, he's been uh, teaching golf now for over 30 years. Uh, he's the founder and director of instruction of Plain Simple Golf LLC, which, of course, houses the Plain Simple Golf Circuit and the Simple Swing Repeater Training Brace. And like myself, he's uh, there to help golfers focus on building a repeatable swing, and he works with uh, golfers of all uh, ages and, and abilities. So he's a great pro to, uh, if you're up in the St. Louis area, to connect with him. And uh, he'll tell you how you can do that a little bit later on the broadcast. But uh, please welcome my very special guest on Coach's Corner, Pete Buchanan. Good evening, Pete. Good evening, Ted. Thanks. Great to be here again. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. I I appreciate you, as always, uh, giving of your time. And I know it's not always easy. So, uh, again, thank you for uh, for doing that. All right. As I was mentioning to you off air, we're going to talk about something that we really haven't talked about a great deal. In fact, very little on the show, and I thought it was about time, and I thought this would be a perfect opportunity for you and I to have a, a really good discussion uh, about some of the different swing eras. Now, we always talk about, um, you know, the setup and, and getting everything right there, but there's another whole component of the golf swing that really we don't talk about a lot. We certainly do when we're uh, teaching our students that, but uh, on programs like this, we don't always get into, and that is uh, a lot of the errors that we see 
that are made in the course of a live golf swing. So, for instance, uh, over the top, you know, that sort of thing. Again, we always uh, talk about those things in uh, real time with our students, but I thought we would uh, have that uh, discussion tonight. So we're going to talk about a few different ones. We're not going to be able to get to them all because, unfortunately, there's a lot of them in the golf business, Pete, as I'm sure <laughs> yeah. you can uh, attest to. But cool. we'll, we'll hit a few of the, the, the common ones here. And, and I'm going to sort of read off the, the expression, and then we'll get into a little bit deeper dive. Uh, and the first one we're going to talk about, swing error, if you will, and that is uh, laying off the club. So essentially we'll talk very quickly what that means, and that means that the uh, club is in a laid-off position uh, in relation to the target line. Um, talk a little bit about that. What's, what, in your uh, opinion, if you will, uh, causes that? What, what's happening in the, in the swing that's causing people to lay off the club? And then what can we do uh, as a, maybe a drill or something to help alleviate that? And maybe talk about some of the things that get, uh, it causes when the club is laid off. Yeah, usually when you're looking at the club getting let off, or in in this case, if you want to picture, um, let's just look at the, the golf club as it's coming up in in the backswing. You can have it at the top of the swing where it's pointing directly at the target. You can have it pointing as a right-handed player right of the target or left of the target, or you can have it, you know, in relation to the arm, uh, which is you know the the lead arm, you know, right or left of it, but. When it's laid off, it's usually left of the target, left of the lead arm, um, more of a, a sort of what the old quote used to be, a flat nature. Um, and, you know, most of that's caused by, you know, at the start, uh, a little bit of lack of rotation of the body where the arms just sort of roll the club behind or the wrist take the club inside, and then it just keeps going backwards. So they get it inside, and then they decide, well, I've got the club going in, now I need to turn, and then they turn and the club never goes up, it just goes behind them. And so it gets right. set way left of the target. So, you know, if, if you try to swing back from there, you're going to need about a two-foot tee. So there's going to have to be some, you know, changes going on to get you back to the ball because now the club is, is so far leveled back there that it's going to swing too high. So they're either going to drop the body down, you know, sliding the hips forward and the right shoulder under, or they're going to come over, and use the shoulders to swing the club steeper or more out to create an angle to get back down to the ball. So I think typically, you know, you've probably heard the phrase in and over. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. swings that have been that way. They get it too far inside, then they have to come over because they don't have an angle to get to it. You know, um, those particular players who have it, you know, laid off like that, they usually can hit their woods as long as they're on a tee, but boy, they struggle with irons and pitching and, you know, there's just no angle uh, of attack coming back to the other side to really get them to, to be able to, to play unless it's a steep one, um, you know, which isn't conducive to driving really anything except bunker shots. So, right. you know, when they get that club set too far left or too far behind them, it's just, uh, you know, the road back to the bowl is a, becomes a steep one. And um, I think in that case, it's, it's very difficult to get any kind of consistent contact or direction. Yeah, and really what you're talking about here, and, and just to sort of clarify, um, and, and great job in, in explaining that, is it, really getting stuck in the backswing. Uh, we get a lot of people, like you said, they're, they're coming, it's more of a rotating as opposed to swinging the club back, and they get that, that club, uh, their arms and their hands and, that, and the club stuck way behind them. And because they're not really bringing the club up and, and really lifting it up at any point in the backswing, it gets stuck behind them. And then, as you said, you have to sort of um, either move the body very quickly out of the way 
in order to be able to get that, that club back down into the right slot. And it's very difficult to get that timing correct, or you're coming, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but uh, coming sort of that over-the-top position. So, you know, if you're, if you're doing it one way going back, then you have to do it another way to come over in order to get it back on plane, on the proper plane. And this is something that we see a lot of golfers do. A lot of people get stuck in that. And you're right, if it's, if it's the driver and it's on a tee, you can be a little bit more flat in your swing, and it is a little bit more around. But when you're dealing with the irons, because you're coming in at a much steeper angle, uh, because now you're hitting down on the golf ball as opposed to sweeping it up and, and off the tee, um, you're going to have all kinds of, of issues with that. And I think that um, I think one of the issues, as you said, uh, and, and we'll, we can touch on that a little bit later too, but is I think a lot of people, would you agree that it tends to be people that make more of an arm swing as, as opposed to a body rotation? What are your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they'll, they know the arms have to go and move, and they'll, they'll move them independent at the start, usually with a little bit of, of forearm rotation or, or, you know, wrist roll inside. And then not only do they get the arms moving more or too level behind them, they also get the shaft moving too level. So now everything is, gets inside the arms and behind them, and now there's, there's nowhere to go. Uh, so they're just stuck mm-hmm. with the clubs, you know, behind them. And occasionally you'll find one which, I, you know, doing golf schools, I was able to see it, fortunately. You don't see it very often where you have one that puts the arms in the club behind them but tilts the body in the air. So now they got both parts in the wrong direction, and, and those are difficult to fix. Because whew, you, you got to pick one or yeah. the other because you can't fix both. So sometimes you get them to where the body goes one way and the arms go the other, and unfortunately they're the total opposite of where they're supposed to go. So it mm-hmm. makes that road back to the bowl almost impossible. So, but yeah, it usually starts with you know an independent arm motion that gets the club too far behind them. Yeah, and and again, it creates a myriad of problems. I mean, you know, for every action there is a, is a, a an equal uh, reaction. But the problem is in golf, is quite often we find people don't do the the proper reaction, if you will, uh, or they have to make adjustments in order to. Um, and, and again, we'll talk about some other things here in a moment. But it, it's very um, evident when you see people. I see a lot of uh, golfers, and some people do it too. I think take it more on the inside if they have poor flexibility, especially older or yes. senior golfers when they've got uh, very low flexibility, um, they, it's more comfortable for them. If they're trying to rotate as we would typically rotate in a golf swing, uh, it, they're not able to do it because their, their muscles are, are tense or tight. So what they do is they, they make compensations. And one of the things is taking the, the club way inside and, and, uh, and getting it stuck in the backswing. Another one, too, um, Pete, is uh, crossing the target line. So, uh, you know, the, the across the line, if you will. And that's basically um, what you see is people will get it up and the club is actually pointing. If you were standing behind them, it's, it's pointing to the right uh, of their target line. Talk about that a little bit and, again, some of the issues that we have here. What's causing it? What are some of the causes of it? Um, and how do we sort of overcome that yeah well you know the very um motion that gets the club behind them um you know when one's laid off is also can be the one that what goes in then has to go up so sometimes they'll get it in behind them and realize well now the club's got to go up in the air so then they use the wrist to hinge it up in the air but now since it's so far inside by the time they get it up it's pointed way off to the right so now they've got it in the wrong direction so it goes in and then up and that's the one 
I always like to tease that one because I'll, I'll ask them when I see that. I said, have you seen the ball flight chart that has the nine flights on it? I said, yeah, you've mm-hmm. got them all with that backswing because that backswing will produce just about every ball flight you can imagine because the recovery right. is so hard to get back to the ball. If they stay under it, they're going to push it, hook it, uh, you know, push, fade it. If they come over it, they're going to pull it, you know, pull, draw it, pull, fade it. And if they manage to slide far enough to get it into it, sometimes they can hit it fairly straight but still have some curves because of the independent timing of the hands. But usually, though, when that club is across the, the lead arm and across the target line, you know, relative to their forearms, they've actually got the club face closed relative to their arms. It may appear to be, yes. you know, open in some respects to the arc, but it's actually closed to their arms. So, you know, if they release that club from there, boy, that ball's going left in a hurry. And I see a lot of good players that have the club in that position where the shaft is, in this case, to the right of their lead arm or, or across the target line. And the first thing I always ask them, I say, you're tired of fighting hooks? You know, so then we got to redirect that golf club so we can get the face, you know, relatively square to the arms to get the hooks out of there. Um, but, you know, it, and it really depends on which was kind of interesting when I was at the golf schools. When you have that type of backswing, if the handicap was, you know, roughly 12 to 14 or lower, they would come from the inside to get to the ball. And if the handicap was 14 or higher, they would come from the outside. Right. Crazy how that works. But depending on, you know, where they went, you know, took away their ability to, to get distance and get shots. So the ones that came from the outside had a higher handicap and the ones that came from the inside had a lower one just because of the, the way that they could drive the ball uh, better versus the one that comes on the outside. So it's kind of interesting to see the reactions on where people go from, you know, putting the club in that spot because you can go one of two ways and you have to go one of two ways. You can't come back where you started because you hit about a foot behind it. So, you know, you have to make adjustments to get it going in, in the right direction. So depending on what adjustments you make, uh, some players have the ability to, to drive it better and, and hit longer shots better, and then some, you know, won't drive it as well and won't hit the long shots very far. So it's kind of interesting which way they go depending on where the club is. You know, and it's interesting, too, because this particular swing, uh, it's a little bit deceiving, too, because um, I've seen players, I mean, look at somebody like a Freddie Couples. Uh, he doesn't necessarily go over or across the line, but he has a very high, um, his hands are very high in the air, and he has a long pause, and then he just sort of drops everything into the slot. And But it's something that's a swing that he's worked with for a long, long time. And what this really does coming, uh, over, it's often referred to as well as over swinging or failing to keep uh, you know, your left arm straight. A lot of times you'll see a bend so that it becomes a very wristy uh, or handsy type of swing. And uh, that club, of course, goes across the line. Well, then now you've got to, again, in order to get back to the ball, now you've got to time the lower body, and you've got to move it. And a lot of times it, it, re, it involves a tremendous shift to the left-hand side uh, or you know, to, to the forward side, which is towards your target line, uh, or towards your target, excuse me. And what ultimately ends up happening is now you've got to also time the arms and the hands. And it's very, very difficult to do. Um, I'm not saying yes. it can't be done because, uh, again, something like uh, Freddie Couples, and there are a few others that have done it over the years. Um, but, again, they've worked at that, and they've got their timing down as such that they can do that. But if you ever watch him, his, you know, his, his uh, right arm, his elbow sticks out. Uh, it's not yes. you know, into the side like you quite often see. So it, he has that kind of a similar swing. It's not exactly the same, but very similar to this. Uh, but, again, it's not something that you want to uh, do unless you want to spend a lot of time on the practice tee because that's uh, – you know, that's something for yep. for sure. Um, 
that's going to cause you some issues. Um, another one too, another common one, uh, Pete, is um, is the outside takeaway. Um, talk about what that is first off. What are we talking about when we say they're taking the uh, the club outside of the target line, uh, and then maybe some of the potential issues that we're uh, we're going to fall into that, and what we can do to to sort of fix that. Yeah, you know, when you're just in a basic description, if you're if you imagine the club in the backswing, uh, let's say it's it, when you're taking it back where it's parallel to the ground. Um, if it's parallel to the target line, then that's what we would call down the line. If it's outside that line or to the right of it, that's where the takeaway would be too far outside. Or if it's, you know, to the left of it or inside. So if you look at it when the club's parallel to the ground, now you can see if it's whether outside or inside the, the target line, just to give you a description of what that does. If it goes on the outside, it can go on the outside one of two ways. Some will roll it immediately outside, so now the club face is wide open, and some mm-hmm. will keep the club face looking at the ball or keep it closed. And so right. now the ones, that, the ones that roll it usually are the ones, too, that can also end up putting the club or laying it off behind them. But then I've also seen the ones that roll it outside, and it's open, and then they'll realize it's open. Then they try to make a big turn and then end up actually moving the club back across the line where we just were on the one before. So they make a right. big sweeping motion, and there's you know, a lot of motion that you know, is, is hard to recover from. Or the one that takes it back very close, and then that one usually ends up going straight up in the air. So um, mm-hmm. because that, that'll have a little bit of a tilt in the shoulders with the two, so now that club goes straight up vertical, and usually what goes vertically up will come vertically down. And so now they're scrambling to try to figure out how to get out of the way and still get the club to the ball uh, without crashing into the ground too much. And that's usually the one that you'll see that, you know, they'll lift their upper body and lift their head up to try to avoid the ground. And, you know, one of their well-meaning friends says, hey, you had your head up. So now they try to stick their head down even further on the next one, which puts the clubs more up in the air. So then they crash more into the ground. So it's a never-ending battle on that one. But, yeah, it really depends on how the arms take it so they can – as you can imagine, if you had your arms in front of you, if you roll your arms, you can roll the club open and keep it on the outside. Or if you, you know, turn your arms the opposite way so they turn in toward each other, you can take it close. So it's all about when that club's parallel to the ground, where is it relative to the target line? Is it to the right of it? If you're looking down the line or to the left of it, it's to the right, it's on the outside. And so, therefore, depending on which way you took it is going to depend on which way the club is going to go from there. But now you've got an independent motion where the arms have moved, you know, too far away from where the body turn is, and, and now you're running into issues trying to recover from there. Yeah, there's a there's a myriad of, of uh, you know, problems that are associated with a lot of these different swing errors. And, and one of the things, one, I think one of the common um, problems with this is we've, we've sort of been taught, you know, put your, you know, your, your um, move, rotate your arms uh, as one sort of, uh, you know, take that, that single uh, backswing, if you will, takeaway. The right. problem is, is it goes to what you and I were talking about, um, you know, a little bit ago, is is that it tends to be a more of an arm swing as opposed to an actual rotation. So what happens is it kind of looks very similar from if you were looking at it and you through an untrained eye and somebody's taking the club back. The problem is if it's an arm swing, that triangle that's created is is really pointing more down even though the arms are back because they're not actually rotating right. their upper body with the arms. Uh, whereas a proper uh, takeaway 
is everything's moving together. The, the arms are actually more passive, believe it or not. They're just sort of coming along for the ride. So it's really an upper body uh, rotation, if you will. So the shoulders, uh, more of a rolling effect, if you will, uh, as opposed to flicking the hands. So there's a lot of things that you do. Yes. And, and this is one thing I want to interject in this. Uh, I did this for years um, with a lot of my students because it's very, very difficult. I mean, you can show them all the video you want. But when I would get people, I would tell them, if you can, and, and it's very, very inexpensive, you can go to most of your hardware stores and you can get a uh, very inexpensive piece, large, you know, uh, five and a half, six foot, whatever, uh, mirror. You don't need it very wide, just wide enough that you can see your full body in, maybe a couple of feet wide, and have them just frame it because it's not looking at anybody to, to cut themselves. And lean right. that against or mount it against, you know, if you've got a basement or something, a wall, somewhere that you can go in your garage, what have you, that you've got room. And stand in front of it and go through your swing motions so that you can see and get feedback. Because what often happens in video, it's great, but a lot of times when people are looking at video, it's happening very fast, and if they're not putting it in slow-mo, it, it's not really... But I always found what I did is, even for myself, is I would stand in front of that mirror, and I would make sure, am I rotating my upper body correctly, or am I just moving the club back with my arms and my hands? And you'd be surprised at how, and it's, again, very, very expensive. You could probably, for $20, maybe $25, uh, you can get a, a fairly cheap piece of uh, uh, mirror. Uh, might be a little bit more now with, with inflation, who knows, but yeah. uh, it's not that much. It's very inexpensive. Uh, it might be, uh, right. you know, it's been a while since I bought one, so it might be a little more than that. But, um, but those are some things that you can do to help uh, make sure that you, you know, you're, you're watching um, what's actually going on. Um, sure. The other one too is uh, that we hear about a lot in golf, and that is casting. Um, what's casting? What are we doing when we're casting uh, the club? What does it mean, and what uh, what are some of the things that we can do uh, to fix that? Yeah, that's a great one. You see that all the time. You know this. You know so much of the the, the folks that we see, especially in the short game and pitching. You know they. They're, they're, they're always getting the hands and wrists to swing independently from the arms, which is a little bit of casting, but it pitches the club right into the ground too early. But usually what happens is a lot of the casting is caused by those that would have too long of a backswing or there's too much hinge and the arms outrun the shoulders. And so now that club, you'll see it at the top, you know, not necessarily as long as John Daly would swing it, but the, the hands have outrun the arms in the turn. So then immediately there's backlash as they start down. So then the wrist will swing the club down first. So it sort of casts the club away from the arms and gets it very wide as it starts to downswing. And now all of that energy that you could build up uh, to get into that golf ball is gone. And so now trying to get that hit with it is very difficult to do. So it's usually an independent action where the hands and the wrists are tossing the club in the downswing away from the arms. And so now you're getting the club actually out longer than where it started. And a lot of times they'll pitch that right into the ground. So, you know, those that tend to have a lot of uh, cast issues take a lot of, you know, hit a lot of fat shots, take a lot of divots. And then when they're pitching the mm -hmm. ball, they either hit behind it or they, you know, miss the ground uh, behind it. And then they just, you know, scoop it on the upswing and blade it across the green. And so, yeah, what you were talking about before, you know, the hands and wrists are, are a lot more passive in the downswing than people think especially when you start the downswing, they sort of go along for the ride with the arms, but it all depends on, you know, how long the swing went. I know I saw a study mm -hmm. before um, 
and I can't remember, so it was like 98% of the people that, you know, have this club swinging too long in the backswing will cast it because it's just, mm-hmm. that's just going to happen, you know, so they don't have any choice. So, you, you know, in that particular case, you got to, you know, sort of calm the backswing down and get rid of that. But, yeah, it's always an independent motion where the hands and wrists are working independently from the arms, and it just takes that club. And it's great for a fishing rod, but it doesn't really good do too well for, for hitting <laughs> golf balls. Right. Yeah, you want yeah. you want to be able to cast the the fishing rod, uh, but yeah, not the yep. golf club. Um, no, that's a, yeah. that's a great answer. And, and you know what, what? You know, one of the things I, I think with a lot of folks is there's a lot of misunderstanding. This is why it's important, I think. Um, and I'm going from a student's perspective. It's important if you're going to work with with a teacher or coach, uh, you know, swing coach, what have you. You've got to be. You can't just go under the assumption because you've been playing golf for, for 10, 15, 20 years that you, you know everything and, and so you don't want to look foolish. Ask questions. If you're unclear, if, you're, if your instructor says to you, okay, I want you to do this, that, or the other, if you're not completely clear as to what they're telling you to do, ask them to repeat it or even better yet, ask them to show you what they mean. I'm a more of a visual person, so a lot of times if I'm working with somebody, they say, well, you know, Ted, I want you to do this, that, or, and I'm not even talking about golf, but just generally. A lot of times, if it's a physical activity, depending on what it is, I mean, there's certain things, obviously, you know, uh, raking leaves, I think I can get that one down packed. I don't really like it, but sure. I can get it down. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if it's something that I'm not really familiar with, uh, then I'll get them to demonstrate what it is they want me to do so that I can, I've got a visual cue now that I can use and say, okay, this is what I need to do. I, I need to get more upper body rotation, or I need to get, uh, you know, uh, tr- transfer my weight onto the other foot. I need to understand that better. You'd be surprised at how many people get out there, and this is gonna, what's going to fall into our next one here, and that is an arm, and we touched on it earlier, an arms-only swing. Uh, essentially what's happening here is it's very little, if any, body rotation. They're just swinging their arms and their shoulders back, um, to a certain degree, but they're not actually rotating their upper body. Uh, and that causes right. a whole myriad of things. So, so first off, what's going on here? Um, what are some of the problems that this creates? And how do we stop? What, what do we need to do um, for, you know, to help our students to prevent doing that? What, is there some good drills or something? I have one in mind, but uh, it may be similar to yours. But go ahead. Well, you know, when – First thing you have to ask, and you brought this up earlier, you go, do they have any mobility issues? Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they they just can't move enough, even though the posture might be good. Uh, many times it, it's, it could be an address issue, but if the address is pretty good and they just don't have, you know, the ability to move or, the, or, or mobility, then, you know, you'll see a little bit of motion where the hips and the, and the shoulders move a little bit, but then the arms just take the club up in the air. So now you've got an independent upward arm swing um, which now is going to go down, but it needs a body turn on the other side, probably even more so than what they did in the backswing to get the club back to the ball, and they just don't have it. So usually you're going to have little little turn going back, little turn going forward, and so now the club is just swinging pretty much on a steep uh, plane angle up and down, and, and now uh, there, there's hardly any force into the ball. Usually it's going to open the club face, and so the ball is going to end up going off to the right. So then you'll see them at the bottom trying desperately to flip their hands at it to keep it from going to the right. Now it goes to the left. They have a very difficult time getting the ball to fly straight and a difficult time getting the contact point right because the club just wants to go up and down and, you know, mostly into the floor. And so now, you know, their body will 
probably tilt versus turn because they don't have the ability to, to rotate. So now you're just seeing the arms going straight up and straight down and, you know, there's no force on it, total lack of distance and lack of contact and, you know, no consistency in that kind of contact at all. Uh, occasionally they'll get in a bunker and, whew, you know what, they can make it happen uh, because you can right. get away with that steep arm swing in a bunker and make it pop out of there. And, and occasionally they'll, they'll clip a pitch shot and they'll think, oh, I got it. And then, of course, it's disaster from there on. But, you know, the, the, the golf swing needs horizontal and vertical movement both. And so without that horizontal motion, which is the body moving from side to side, it's, it's difficult to get any kind of consistent contact and distance created if you're just letting the arms go up and down without, you know, any body turns at all. Yeah, and, and essentially really what they're do, or doing or rather not doing is they're not transferring their weight to their back foot. So we're talking about, uh, obviously, I mean, you can flip the script, if you will, uh, for those of you listening right. to for left-handers out there, but we're talking about primarily right-handed golfers here just for, for demonstration purposes. But, um, you know, so when you're, when you're now moving into the backswing, you're transferring weight onto your back foot, which would be your right leg and right foot. And the problem with somebody that's doing an arms only is their hips are very um, parallel to the target line. It's not, there's no rotation in the hip. Therefore, there's really no um, weight transfer onto your back foot. So now what ends up happening is, as you said, the arms just sort of drop down. There's no power and you're forcing a weight transfer on the front foot. And we're going to talk about the next thing that that causes a lot of times, again, if the timing is just not right. But so you've got to make sure it's not just a matter of twisting your upper body. You've actually got to shift that weight into your back leg uh, and back foot. You, uh, you don't want to too much because that we'll get into another uh, topic here in a moment. We're talking about swaying, uh, but you need to rotate um, properly so that when you uncoil that golf swing, you're now shifting onto your front foot, uh, front leg, if you will, and that club is going to drop in the proper plane and into the proper slot and you're going to hit a lot more crisp and solid shots. So if you're just twisting your arm, and what you can do if you're a senior golfer, uh, you know, if you watch Jack Nicklaus over the years, um, his front foot being his left, um, as he rotated back, he lifted that up. Now, he didn't consciously lift it up. It was as a result of his rotation. So if you're somebody that's having mobility issues, there's a way right there that you can help a little bit as you rotate back. If you're feeling tension and you need to go back a little bit forward to complete your backswing, lift that front foot up a little bit. I'm talking about the heel. I don't mean lift it off the ground and let it come up so that your toes are still down there. And then that helps as the transition as well as now you drop that heel back down on the ground and that's going to help bring uh, the rest of the body into uh, correct uh, rotation. So there's a lot of great things that you can do, but that's mainly what happens in an arm swing only is that you're not getting proper rotation. And that's a, a, a distance killer. It uh, creates all kinds of things, as Pete just pointed out. Um, yeah, one, one of the, the things, things that I'm going to – yeah, go ahead. Yep, go I was ahead. going to say just from a, you know trying to fix that a little bit, a lot of times what I'll do too is, is I'll set them up a little bit more on the inside. I'll put their right hip and their right shoulder back at a dress, which gets mm-hmm. them a little bit more towards their right side. So then as they move away, we can get a little bit of a shift, and then it's easier to shift to the other side. So you can set them up a little bit more on the inside, uh, right hip, right shoulder back a little bit more, and, and that will help them get a little bit you know kind of a preset turn if you will, at address, which can help uh, alleviate some of that. Yeah, and there's two things that, that happen when you're not rotating properly either. It's, again, it's a rotation. It's not a slide or a sway. We're going to talk about swaying, uh, and then we're also going to talk about another one. We're going to sort of put the two together here. 
um, because they, they really kind of go hand in hand. I mentioned here a moment ago, if you're not making a proper rotation and that weight doesn't get into your right side and now you're trying to, to force it, then you end up a lot of times either uh, moving too far to the left or not enough and it gets a reverse pivot. So this is one of the uh, reactions, if you will, of not making a proper rotation is you ultimately end Correct. up getting down to a, a point where you're not rotating through to the ball and you're just sort of falling back onto your back foot. Uh, we see that a lot. So talk about that. What Again, what's happening with that and what are some things that you can think of that can uh, uh, that can maybe help alleviate re- uh, reverse pivot? And then we're going to talk about swaying as well because that kind of comes hand in hand with this a little bit too. Yeah, I think, you know, when you're looking at, at a reverse, reverse pivot in the forward swing, I, I think you also have – uh, quote-unquote, a reverse pivot in the backswing. Um, when they go back, the right hip and right shoulder go straight up in the air versus turn, and if they go up, then they're going to go down. And so now you've got the body sliding back and forth, um, going up and down and not turning on an axis at all. So if it if it tips with the right hip and the right shoulder up, then the left hip and the left shoulder are going to go up on the forward swing. So now you're seeing that reverse C. So it's kind of like, you know, if if you're looking at them from the front side, you're actually seeing a, you know, two kind of C's on both sides. They're they're not getting out of the way. So I see that a lot when when there's just a lot of tilting going on and no turning at all. And so there's right. you can see a lot of movement, but it's it's not any movement on a on a on a turn on an axis. It's just you know the the right hip and the right shoulder go straight in the air. So you know what goes up goes down. So you got to have the reverse mm-hmm. on the other side, and then that now is dropping the bottom of the swing all over the place. So, goodness gracious, it's so hard to get contact when you're doing that, especially with the short clubs. You know, it's just it's yeah. just a hit and miss all day long. So, yeah, that's I, I usually see that, you know, reverse C because they've gone, you know, pretty much the opposite in the backswing, so it causes that same tilt in the forward swing. Right. And swing, again, this is another area, is very, very common. I find being a tall player, I'm six foot four. Uh, this is something that certainly can happen with anybody, but this is something, uh, and I, I think you would probably agree, we see a lot with tall players, especially that have very long legs, is they you know, end up swaying. They don't really get a, a good rotation. Um, talk about that. Again, it causes a myriad of problems there, but what, what are we talking about when we're swaying, when we're trying to get uh, a good uh, rotation, um, but we're actually swaying in the backswing and, and obviously in the forward swing as well? Tell us a little bit what we're doing here, what's in your estimation, what's causing it, and what can we do to try to help alleviate that? Yeah, I think when you're if, if you're looking at somebody face on and you watch them sway, you, you see the the whole body sort of shifts off to the right, and you know there really isn't the upper body turning against the lower body. Everything sort of shifts, you know, uh, too far to the right as as you're as they're moving. Uh, if you're looking at face on, you'll see it left, but you know, they, they sort of shift off the ball and their spine angle moves way too far to the right. And, you know, now that they've swayed way off that side, now there's a lot of movement they have to do on the other side to get back to it. So, you know, you want to feel like, you know, as you're turning, that spine angle is not moving, you know, way behind the ball. It's actually turning on a rotation that, you know, sort of like a, a an axis, I would say, where, you know, you're you're keeping that center line. Even though you're turning into the right side, you're not moving way off of that line. Is sort of turning into it, but you'll see that. Mm-hmm. You'll see them move because they think they have to get a lot of motion. They see them move way to the right because they're trying to get the weight on the right foot, and they move way to the left, and somewhere in between there they forgot to swing the club, so they're really not having any success with it. 
Um, and, and again, it's just moving the bottom of the swing all over the place. So um, I'll tell you a great story about a sway after you answer. But, um, um, you know, it's just that it, you're just seeing so much movement on one side and the other. Um, and so, yeah, there's just, just inconsistent on trying to get any kind of, you know, as, as quote unquote, like say coil or wind up, you know, to create some, some power. There just isn't anything there because it's moved too far right and too far left. Yeah, and, and a great, well said, and a great way, Pete, to help alleviate this, we see this quite often, is um, your instructor will put a golf ball under uh, the side of your right foot uh, underneath there. So you're actually stepping on the golf ball, not in the center, but just to the outside. And what that does, it reminds you as you're uh, rotating into your backswing, because what happens with the sway a lot of times, too, is people, their weight will transfer to the outside of their uh, right foot or their back foot. Um, yeah, and yeah. ultimately what ends up happening is, uh, again, they've got to really push off to get to the other side. And a number of things happen. It's very difficult when you're swaying a lot to keep your posture. So, uh, again, for taller players, you'll see a lot of times their head will go up and down quite a bit uh, as they sway. Yeah. In the backswing, a lot of times their, their head will rise, and in order to get back down to the ball, it, it drops down quite a bit um, and it moves side to side quite a bit as well. So a lot of times you'll see uh, golf professionals will put a golf ball uh, under your right uh, outside of your foot so that um, that will help uh, prevent you from rotating uh, too much in the backswing or, and, and obviously swaying too much in the backswing and also as a way to remind you that you want to need to get back to the other side. So those are a couple of things that you can do. Another one, too, and I, I wanted to mention this, and I, I forgot to in the, in the arm swing. I want to go back real quick to that, but this is something you could use really for everything, is a, a very common uh, thing to help uh, so that you can see that you're rotating your body as well, is to lay a club uh, across your uh, upper body, just uh, around uh, your shoulder, just below your shoulders a little bit, um, and you obviously cross your, your hands over to hold it on there, and then you just rotate your upper body, and the, the shaft of the club should be pointing at, or just maybe even depending on how flexible you are, even just slightly behind the golf ball. So that's a good way to tell if you're rotating your upper body correctly. And you'll see, again, if you do it in front of that mirror, um, you'll see that your hips have rotated properly, and you'll see that the uh, with the club, it's a good visual cue. So I'm always about using visual cues, or certainly something that helps you uh, adapt to the correct feeling. But um, uh, you said you wanted to share a, a quick story about swaying? Yeah. You know, sometimes when you when you look at swaying, some, some can confuse a pretty good turn with a little bit of a sway. But I remember in uh, John Jacobs was doing the, the, the coverage in the U.S. Open, and, and they talked about um, Curtis Strange. And one of the announcers says, John, you're the resident expert on golf swings. He says, it seems to me that Curtis Strange sways a little bit in his swing. What do you think? And John said, well, he swayed 67 times today, and I think he'll try to do the same tomorrow. So I thought that was a great answer to that. So, <laughs> so you know, sometimes it's a little bit different than what you actually see. So I thought that was a great response. <laughs> well, and, and, and you know, the, the thing is, too, what, what people have to understand is, is we're all different. Our, every swing is different. I mean, you see a lot of different variations. Yeah. But there are certain key things that have to be constant. Uh, obviously, getting the club face uh, squared impact uh, if you want the ball to, to fly straight, uh, and, and obviously transferring your weight properly between your feet. You know, Nicholas obviously fam always famously talked about that really the golf swing um, was really in the feet uh, because that's what's touching yes. the ground. I mean, obviously you're swinging a club, but 
you have to have that proper weight shift. Uh, and if it's not, then all kinds of things, like some of the things we talked about, your swing, reverse pivoting, uh, you know, uh, the clubs going across the line, you know, all the things that we've talked about thus far can happen if you're not uh, rotating and you're not transferring your weight correctly. Another one as yes. well, which is a very common one we see, and this goes to really a lot about impact in that, and that is scooping the ball. Uh, we see this all the time. I'm sure you see this all the time. Uh, scooping the ball or flipping the club uh, often occurs uh, when you're trying to help get the ball airborne. So what are some of the causes? Why, why are we scooping the, 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 the shot here? Uh, obviously, it leads to a, a variety of different things, thin and fat and even sky shots. Uh, so there's a myriad of things. You're welcome to uh, unpack any of those if you want. Uh, but how do we fix or stop scooping the ball? What do we need to do? Well, I think the first basic thing in, in getting to where you're either scooping or flipping it is even though you're hitting a, a little bit of a short game uh, shot, a little pitch shot, there still has to be some rotation. And I think a lot of times they'll just pick the club straight up in the air. Well, now that club's going to go straight back down on the ground. So the only way to avoid the ground then is to just flip your wrists at it to get the club to come abruptly back up so you don't hit the ground. Well, now you're going to hit it fat, thin, chili dip, you know, all the different things they talk about because now you've got a total independent action between your, your hands and your arms. There needs to be a little bit more rotation of the body and a little bit of rotation of the arms and the hands together so that club doesn't hinge so, you know, vertically up in the air. Um, I know you'll see sometimes a, a tour player will do that and, and, you know, you'll see them get that club a little bit more vertical in the air when they're trying to hit one really, really high. Um, but they practice that a zillion times. So just remember, you know, some of those things you see on TV, that there's a reason why they can do that. But you don't want to get those hands too independent from the arms when you're hitting short game shots. That just mm -hmm. is grounds for a whole lot of bad contact. So you really need to feel like the arms and the hands are working more of a unit together versus independently from each other. There can be a, a little bit of a, of a left wrist hinge a little bit, but not a lot. You don't want a ton where you get that club too vertical for where the arm is because that's always going to be a disaster going back into the ground, and that will cause that scoop or flip, um, not necessarily for, for trying to get the ball in the air, but just trying to avoid hitting the ground. You know? And then I think a lot of times, too, people think, well, I don't have enough pitch on this thing to get it in the air, so they're trying to add a lot of loft, and so they end up you know, scooping the club underneath it to try to add a bunch of pitch. And it's just not going to make that ball go in the air. You know, they they spent a lot of time designing those sand wedges with those bounces to help you. So you don't need your hands to go independent to do it. That club will do it on its own. Yeah, it's it's very tempting. And I think what happens with a lot of people, and, and I think it's, you know, when you're dealing with your irons, people don't understand that they don't realize that, um, you know, the opposite of down is up. So if you want the ball to, to get airborne, you've got to hit down. Uh, through impact so that you're making contact with the ball and you're letting the club do the job. But they, they look at and they see that, that lie angle and they see the club face angle and they're thinking, okay, well, it's kind of on a slant, so I've got it means I've got to kind of scoop it and get, and get it, help it to get up. But you don't really because the club is designed, that's what the lines are on the club face is to, to make contact with the ball and create uh, backspin so it helps lift the ball. And obviously your forward momentum is helping it move forward. Uh, but the club face is designed uh, to help get the ball uh, airborne. And, and right. what, what we often see with, with scooping, too, is a lot of times we'll see not getting the, the hands 
just slightly in front of the ball at impact. They end up the ball is or the hands are actually behind. So now the club face Correct. is actually out outpacing the hands. And uh, again, you know, we're running into a lot of these issues that we we talked about. Uh, I, I want to go on to this one here uh, as well. Is is um, and I kind of touched on a little bit, but standing up at impact. This is something that we see a lot. And again, I see this with a lot of players, and particularly tall players. What's going on here? What what's happening? Uh, why are they standing up at impact? And what is that doing to the spine angle, um, essentially? Or or are they keeping that spine angle uh, maintained? <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. I had to sneeze. What's um, <laughs> my apologies? Um, so what's oh, going no on here? Yeah, what, what's going on here with standing up? What, what's causing people yeah. to stand up, and what can they do to sort of keep their uh, spine angle steady through the golf swing? Well, I think of a lot of it can happen. Um, one, if if they don't get the proper, um, you know, upper and lower body turns together, sometimes, um, as I said before, they can get the club a little bit on the inside, but but the right hip will rise versus turn enough. And if that rises up, then the left hip is going to rise up. So the only thing the upper body can do then, if, if the hips slide forward versus turn, the upper body is going to come up. It, it doesn't really have right. any choice. And so, you know, mm-hmm. then they get the independent. Now they got to try to pitch it down to get it to the bowl. And uh, all that, you know, distance is lost because they're losing all their leverage. So I think in order to get the, the proper upper body motion back into it, it all deals with getting the right, hip and, and, and upper body turn in the backswing, but then having the return, getting those hips to turn back in the forward swing. You know, a lot of times you look at the tour players now, and it, it almost seems like from the top of the swing, their lower half is moving, you know, backwards and left. It's not forward towards the ball. It's moving backwards away from the ball. And so anytime you get to the top of the swing, if your lower half moves towards the ball, your upper half's going to come up. There's, there's no other way around it. You can't keep it bent there. So you're, when you get to the top of the swing, you really have to work at, at maintaining the lower half and letting it, you know, you know, recenter and move left so that that will carry the upper body around so it won't stand up to get to the ball. And, um, you know, I, I, you'll, you'll often see, too, you know, a guy like, um, you know, Cam Smith, he's a guy that actually coming into the ball, his, his upper body gets lower. Uh, Rory does that. It gets lower coming into the ball, and a lot of that has to do with, too, they, they're trying not to pitch the club down. They want to hold those angles. And so in order to do that, the upper body's got to go down. So you'll see their lower half is really open and turned uh, away from the ball. You know, most of the pros, um, you know, are about 30 or 35 degrees open hips at contact, where mm-hmm. most of our amateurs are square. And right. so now the hips haven't worked properly. So that in itself, by moving the hips on a slide forward versus a rotation is going to make the upper body stand up. And then, of course, you know, again, then, you know, now you're so far away from it, you've got to pitch the club to it. And so now there's another independent motion to make it. You know, it all, it all boils down to, um, you know, proper rotation of the body and swing of, of the arms and club. Um, when you marry them to, together correctly, um, it's very easy yes. to, uh, you know, if everything is correct in the backswing, your chances of a successful downswing and follow-through, uh, and again, I'm not saying it's impo- uh, not impossible to, to falter, but the more perfect, 
and I know that's not the right word, the more perfect you are in your backswing, the likelihood of your downswing and follow-through mirroring that in reverse uh, you're going to be successful in. And more often than not, when we see people hitting fat and thin and topping shots and that, it's because their backswing is not correct. There's something either they're not rotating properly or their hands and arms are playing too much of a role um, and they're not rotating as we talked about earlier. So your body has to compensate. It has to make... Because uh, okay. your body reacts to the movements that you make. And if your weight is transferred on one side, if you don't transfer it to the to the other side, in other words, your front foot, then you get that reverse pivot. So you stay back right. on that back foot because you're not... So there's a lot of things. And, and you know, golf can actually be much easier uh, if people would just really pay attention and do, and do the drills that we're giving them um, yes. and, and getting out there and practicing. Here's one I, I want to end with this one here as we get close to, to wrapping up. This is one that we see a lot of, particularly in the short game. And, Pete, I know... Uh, somebody like you who really focuses on uh, helping people with their chipping and pitching. And I know you do the full swing as well, but this is an area I know you, you really focus and dial in on because this is where you're scoring, is deceleration. This is something we see with their chips and pitches. What's going on here? Um, maybe give us an example of some of the things that can happen. And what do we do to sort of overcome or help prevent the golfer from, from decelerating? What's going on here? What are some causes and what are some effects? What can we do to change things around for them? Yeah, I think the leading one is they'll get the backswing too long, uh, especially in some mm-hmm. of the shorter shots. They'll, they'll take a big, long backswing, and then I think, you know, panic sets in. They're thinking, oh, good gracious, this is too long, so I better slow down to get into it. Um, and right. so it's going to cause the club to, to come in, you know, much slower than, than when it back. And I think a lot of the D-cell comes from poor contact. When golfers are making poor contact, they they really don't want to go very hard at it because, you know, they're feeling like, gosh, if I swing, you know, with any speed at this, I'm going to blade it over the green or, you know, I'm just not going to make very good contact. So I think it starts with, you know, getting the proper positioning of them. And, and just like you just said, even though it's short game, you still have to have the com- right combination of body and arm movements. If you can get those set up properly in the short game and keep the back swings to a minimum uh, for the shot shooting, then you can see the acceleration from then then through the ball. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I think the, the positioning and how the body works is going to help you to, to not decel because if the body continues to move, the club will continue to move. So that'll keep a lot of that, that motion out of there. But I also think you can do some things to where, you know, especially in putting when you see a lot of just, you know, slow down, I'll, I'll put the, you know, uh, a backpack or, or I'll lay their bag down behind or I'll put a book down or, or you know, I'll, I'll stand or put my foot down. I say, okay, I'm going to shorten your backswing, and, and now I want you to go to that pin. Well, they're going to have to accelerate through to get to the pin, uh, the, the putt that I'm trying to get them to hit. So then you can, you can get them to take a little bit shorter back, and then they can see how the acceleration goes on the other side. Um, but mm-hmm. also you can get them to, to where when they're doing little pitch shots of, you know, as they swing down of – holding the arm angles, but let them feel how, and if you can picture this as they're coming down, if they can have the handle of the club follow their left hip around. So the handle of the club as they come down follows the left hip. And if you let them follow and that handle keeps pointing at the left hip, then they start to see how the body and the club move at a rate together on the way through. So then they start to see Mm -hmm. some acceleration there. Once that left hip stops, well, then the club slows down. 
because the body stopped and now the you know the club slows coming into the ball and and they're not going to get as as good of a contact. So you can just use you know letting the body especially in the forward swing and the arms move together, which will keep that club from slowing down as they get to contact. Yep. And, and, and something I want to add in, too, you know, to, to help, and not just in, in the short game, but obviously in the full swing as well. And I want to give you an example of, of something I've mentioned a couple times on the show here uh, this year. Um, but, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in, in really a much slower backswing, especially for full shots. You know, you see a lot of people, even with the chips now, you see people yep. sort of snatching the club very very quick in the backswing. And, and then they're, you know, as you say, you're decelerating because they're going back quick and they go, oh, I better slow it down. I went to this past December, so December of, of 2021, and they had, in fact, they're getting ready to do it again. They had one of the um, sections of the Q series for the LPGA uh, at a local course here. And I went to watch uh, a lot of these young ladies uh, play as they were earn, trying to earn their LPGA cards. And what was really interesting yeah. is I watched a number of them out on the on the driving range. And even during their full shots, they were very slow and methodical in their backswings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they accelerate into the downswing. So they're obviously increasing the speed as they go into their downswing and in through impact particularly. Um, and getting that distance. And what was really interesting is, as a result, so in other words, they were they were consciously being aware. Now, they may not be thinking about all this stuff, obviously, but they were consciously aware of making sure of making a good full turn. When you snatch the club away or you speed up the backswing, you don't have a good opportunity to have everything go in sync because you're, you're, you're actually out of sync a lot of times if you're trying to uh, position yourself in a backswing too quickly. And so then you right. get out of sync, and then you're trying to get things back. In. So it was very interesting to watch these young ladies, and I watched quite a few of them on the practice tee. And they would do it with everything, even with their putting and that. Obviously, there was a little bit different in putting. You know, they're, you're trying to keep an even keel. But even that, they would be very methodical about that. And this is why you see such a big difference between, uh, <clears throat> you know, our high-level tour players and the, the average uh, Joe out there on, on the driving range is that they develop a tempo and a timing that matches their body, and right. they work on that. That's what they're working on. They're not working on they, all of the other stuff they've worked on already. They know how to get the club back into impact, and they know how to, uh, you know, to, to accelerate. They're working on their tempo and their timing. Um, and if you really watch the, if you get a chance to go to an event, and you go to the driving range and you watch some of the better players, uh, they're all good, but some of the really better players warming up you will see that they're very, very methodical. I mean, you watch Tiger as an example. You know, a lot of people love watching Tiger. If you watch him warm up, he's not snatching that club away, you know, Pete, in the backswing. He's very slow, smooth in the backswing, and then he accelerates in through the downswing into the impact position. And it's a very balanced in-step swing, and that's why he hits the ball as well as he does. And this is something that we see, uh, right? Am Am I not right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. I, I think you know you're. I, I think even more than that, if if you go to a tour event, go watch them after they play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you get to really see them work on things, and I think you'll really. It'll, I think it'll really surprise you to watch them go rehearse and practice on the things they need to work on. I mean, warming up is one, and it's a great example that you gave because you can really see it, but you can see a whole lot of stuff too afterwards. 
you know, going to oh, the range yeah. when they're done with their rounds and, you know, sit there and watch them, you know, work on the things they're working on. I, I think that's as beneficial too, to really see. And I think a pause drill is great too. You know, as you're talking about the deliberate swings, you'll see from some of the LPGA players. I mean, I like to get a lot of players to take it up the top and have them pause. Now go, mm-hmm. well, you have to accelerate yep. now. <laughs> you don't have any choice. You're at zero. Well, and that, so now you got to well, go. And, and you can, Right, and you can actually feel doing that. That's a great drill because you can actually yeah. now feel the weight transfer. You know, when you're when you're right. doing a fluid, you know, sort of a full swing, and you're not really pausing at all, you're sort of going into one uh, extreme to the other, and you, it's sometimes difficult and challenging for for amateur players to really feel that transition. But if you do that, if you get into the backswing and pause, and even take a you know a, a two second count. I mean, I don't want you to hold it forever, but a two to three second count. And then now transfer into the downswing, you'd be amazed at how you actually can feel your body moving in the correct position. And if it's not, you'll tend to notice it a lot more in that scenario than you will if you just do a typical yes. swing. So, and if you watch the tour yes. players, they'll do that. They'll actually intentionally mm-hmm. pause because they're trying to make sure they, they want that, they're looking for that feeling. For them, it's all about feel now. They've done the yes. drills, they've done all of this other stuff. It, for them, it's about feeling what they need to feel. And if it's not feeling quite right, you can bet your bottom dollar, unless it's something very, very minute, they're not making changes when they're getting ready to play. That's why they're going after the round to work out some of those things, that the issues they may have had. Right. And I think that brings up another great point, too, Ted, is, you know, the amateurs, what they don't realize, to really get better, I mean, you've, you've really got to drill the things that you're trying to work on. You've got to have a lot of repetition and you've got to get to where these things are second nature. And I think, you know, sometimes we'll give somebody a drill and a lesson. They'll do it once or twice and they'll think, oh, well, you know, I got it. You know, and I'll tell them, I, yep. I meant, you know, you're supposed to do a whole swing session with that drill. I want you to go hit 100 balls like that. What do you mean? Yep. Yeah, I want you to hit 100 balls like that. I've hit a million balls like that, but I want you to at least 100. Let's start there. Right. You know, I don't want you to just take the drill for two swings. You've got to do this on a repeated basis. Because it's going to create what you were just talking about. It's going to create the feel we're after. That's what you need. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and that's again runs into the the issues with a lot of our club golfers and a lot of our amateur golfers is they will do the drill, uh, the ones that do the drill, a couple of times until they think, okay, I've got it now, and then they don't do it anymore. But if you watch right. the tour pros when they're in their practice sessions. Um, particularly, I mean, not so much when they're warming up. Warming up, they're just, you know, getting ready for the round, um, and they're trying to yeah. see, okay, what have I got that day to take out in the golf course? Um, sure. And they're trying to get that feel and, and no momentum going. Uh, but when they're in a practice session, they're going through their drills. They're going through. Absolutely. I mean, that was something that, that I watched at the Q Series particularly, and I've seen it at other events as well, but um, that these girls were doing on the putting service. I mean, all the training aids were coming out. They were doing their drills. They were doing their yep. drills, and that's why they're so consistent. So it's it's a yep. matter of getting out there and putting it into practice um, and working at it. And if you want to be a better player, you know, if you're somebody that's just playing once in a while, maybe uh, you know uh, a buddy or something invites you out annually to a, a little golf outing or something like that, and you don't really care so much, then you don't you can forget everything we talked about for the last hour. But if you're somebody that really <laughs> wants to improve your game, and and I don't mean that seriously, yep. but uh, if you're somebody that yeah, really I wants don't. to improve, you've got to be willing to put time in. And the great thing is nowadays is you don't even have to go to the golf course. There's so many things that you can do, even at home. Like I said earlier, in front of a mirror, 
or what have you. There's so many great drills and so many great uh, training aids that you can do right in, in the comfort of your own home or out in the backyard, Absolutely. what have you. And you don't even have to have a golf ball uh, to hit. Right. It's just things to, to feel certain movements and that. So it, it's, uh, you know, I, I think that for, for those that really want to improve their game, you've got to put the effort. And for particularly for golfers that are new to the game, you want to connect with your local golf professional. You want to have a conversation yes. with them. You want to let them know where wh- what it is that you want to get out of this experience and help them better understand what it is that you're looking for and put together a plan for you to become a better player. And that's the key word is player. It's not just a golfer. You're not just going out there hitting golf balls. You're out there and you want to be a better player. And better players yeah. score better. Um, but you've got to put the time yeah, and effort in. Peter, Peter yeah. as always, it's a pleasure. Uh, having you on the Coach's Corner panel. And I think we did a pretty good job uh, having our discussion yeah, tonight. Yeah. I think we covered a lot of the, the stuff that a lot of folks out there have problems with. And I know we'll we'll yes. uh, continue this conversation uh, again on the next uh, uh, Coach's Corner. But um, very quickly, Pete, if you want to let the folks know if they want to reach out to you, the best way to do that. They can reach me at PeteBuchanangolf.com. All my contact information is out there. And, and, again, Ted, thanks for what you do, and thanks for having me on. It's, it's always great to, to chat with you on these Coach's Corners. I appreciate it. All right, Pete, have a great uh, rest of your week and weekend, and I'll see you next time on the Coach's Corner panel here right. on Golf Talk thanks, Live. Pete. All right. You bet. Yeah, see take you. care. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, it was Pete Buchanan, uh, great professional, been in the business for well over 30 years uh, up in the St. Louis area, so you can check him out. Um, we're going to take a very quick break, and I mean very quick, and then I'm going to be joined by my very special guest this evening, Chris Finn, uh, the founder and CEO of Par for Success. We'll be right back. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back, and I'm ready to bring on this evening's guest. Uh, of course, I'm talking about the founder and CEO of Par for Success, Chris Finn. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about him, and then we'll bring him on the show. He's a licensed physical uh, therapist, a certified strength and conditioning specialist. Uh, he's also a TPI certified medical professional, uh, certified precision uh, nutrition coach, and a Golf Digest top 50 golf fitness professional. Uh, he's grown his business, uh, Par for Success, from really the back uh, of his uh, car into a golf performance and direct pay physical therapy industry leader. So please welcome my very special guest this evening, Chris Finn. Good evening, Chris. Hey, Ted, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm doing very well. Uh, you have a few other things in here. We'll talk about them as we go along, but I, I didn't want to spend all the time reading out all your accolades and we'd be here for the first half of the program. So I thought I'll just read a few of the, the – I'll go through the highlights and then we'll get into some of the other hey. stuff. And and obviously, you've been on a number of other shows, including uh, the PGA Tours, uh, Sirius XM Radio uh, broadcast, uh, uh, TPI Institute as well, and, and uh, uh, been involved with Junior Golf Magazine and Golf WRX, uh, just to name a few. So um, welcome to the show. And before we get into our discussion about par for success, I always like to, for somebody that's never been on the show, 
uh, maybe just to sort of give an overview of how you got into golf. And I'm not talking about your business, but just when does your earlier recollections of when you first sort of became uh, interested in the game and uh, some of your earlier experiences, and then we'll lead up to where we are now. Yeah, that's, uh, for sure, Ted. Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually kind of funny. My um, my father tried introducing me to the game when I was probably 12. I took uh, He took me to the course, and I, I hit so many fat shots. I got so frustrated. I basically I don't, I don't even know if I made it nine holes. I said to him, I said, how the heck could anyone want to play this game for fun when they retire? And that, that was probably the, that was probably the last time I played golf until uh, I, I was a basketball player, played through college. Uh, my last year of grad school, uh, to be a physical therapist, I, you know, I'd used up my eligibility. And uh, lo and behold, my roommate uh, at the time was a golfer. And he, so he goes, hey, let, let's go play. So I go out and, man, he, he, he whooped my rear end up and down the course and I got to the end. And I said, uh, I said, well, as I get older, I probably won't tear an Achilles or bust my knee playing golf. And, and this is being this is a new challenge for me. So, really, from that point on, I, I was I was hooked. And um, yeah, I moved down. I went to school up in the Northeast, and I moved down south. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, basically, been living in the Raleigh area, and there's golf everywhere, and, and just kind of right been hooked ever since. And just and, you know had the bug for the last you know ten years plus. It's been uh, it's kind of a funny story. My father gives me a, a a hard time now. You say, Remember that time when we went play, and you said, "How could you ever play this?" And now you make your living doing that. It's kind of ironic right. how it all played out. <laughs> well, that's that's typically how it goes. Um, you know, some uh, you know get brought up watching some of the pros play and say, "I want to do that one day," and then others get introduced. At, you know, much like uh, you, my father introduced me to the game at uh, age seven, and uh, you know, the bug bit me. And obviously, I would have loved to have battled it out with. Uh, Nicholas and, and Palmer and all of the greats of the game, but it just wasn't going to happen, so I went into the teaching side of things, and now I do media and other things as well in golf. But, uh, yeah, once you get bitten by that bug, it's pretty hard to, um, you know, put those clubs down. Um, and, you know, this is something that I think I, I really encourage people that have never played, and I've talked to many, many people that have never played this game before. I say go out and at least try it once. And if you're not... You know, if, if you if after that experience, if you don't get bitten by the bug, then I'm I'd be shocked because I've seen some of the worst critics of this game that'll go out there and all it takes is for them to hit one or two good shots, and all of a sudden they think, well, you know what, maybe I can do this, and they'll get out there and do it. Um, so I want to move now to where you are now. You started this business. I mentioned you basically out of your car. Uh, you started this business. What led you to where you are um, in, in taking up this business venture? What, what was the deciding factor for you? Why did you decide to go down this path? Yeah, so really the, the genesis of Far for Success was uh, I moved to North Carolina. I worked at a university for two years as a physical therapist. And um, <laughs> the, the, the truth of it is I, I'm a firm believer in that you know, when somebody comes to you and they need help that, you should always act in the best interest of them. And I had a client, I'm in the um, ACC country, so UNC mm-hmm. and Duke and you know, NC State. And so I was working at one of the universities, and I had a client who needed my opinion to go see an a, 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 a expert therapist at the rival uh, hospital. Right. And so I, you know, I, right. I, I made the referral, you know, being an, you know, a dumb northerner who didn't know any that better. I, you know, I said, oh, well, you go see over there. My my boss my boss got wind of it, and he basically said, he said, if you refer out, I'm going to write you up for insubordination. And right then and there, that just rubbed me the wrong way of, 
you know, right. I think I just need to go do my own thing because uh, I don't think I'm a good employee. So, you know, at that point, I, I, have, I was bitten. I was infected with, with the golf bug, and I, I looked around and said, you know what, you know, if not now, you know, it'll probably be never. So I, I basically said, why don't I try to put what I love, the strength and conditioning and, and the rehab side of things, you know, to golf. And, um, you know, when I looked at the landscape of the research and the, and the kind of the science behind it at that point, I've always been a skeptical guy. I kind of said, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, based on the, the sport performance and other sports, I was like, I don't know if this golf fitness stuff is actually real or just a gimmick. So I went out, basically knocked on all the doors of every golf pro in the area and just said, Hey, if you'll listen, you know, I'd love to show you what I do. You, you can show me what you do. And, you know, lo and behold, it, you know, started seeing some golfers and, and the, really the, the heartbeat of Par for Success is, is data and research and, and, and really, doing what we know works because we've tested it, you know, scientifically based, you know, in the, in the kind of the medical and sport performance way. And so I started tracking data on everybody and I said, Hey, this is your club speed now, and this is your pain or this is your mobility. And if we do X, Y, and Z and let's retest and does it get better or not? And, you know, that was probably seven, eight years ago. And, you know, fast forward to today and we've got the, the biggest physical database in the world on, on golfers, you know, over 6,000 of them with, you know, from, 10 years old to 85 years old and we can kind of figure out what's normal for these for the different golfers at different stages um you know how we could potentially help them and i I always thought it was funny when i started you'd get like a you know 60 year old guy would come in and you'd swing the club and and you have your i'd have this their speed radar out and it'd be you know 95 miles an hour and you go is that good i go i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i have no idea better than 90 (laughs) um And so it was really it just it, it came from a from a place of of really kind of wanting to prove to myself that what I was doing truly would work, and then also wanting to answer those types of questions for golfers that I had the same questions like like I, I know what mm-hmm. Tiger does and you know, I know what all these guys on tour do, but like what's good for a amateur like me? And and as I age, what what is normal? What could be expected if I you know do the right things? And and that's kind of just been really the the driving force behind everything we do is to try to find out the answers and then share them with everybody as we get them. Well, and and also too, Chris, I think with a lot of people, and and we're hearing more about it now, obviously, and and I know you can attest to this, um, because the pros have gotten more, you know, when when you look back to, you know, 20, 30 years ago, um, and you look at the golfers of that era, as opposed to the young guys coming out today, there's a big difference. Not to say that these guys weren't, you know, in good physical shape to a point, but nowhere near what they are now. And oh, yeah, they've recognized crazy. that, number one, um, if they want longevity in the game, they've got to get in shape. And it's not just a matter of lifting up some mm-hmm. barbells and, and things like that. They've actually got to get into a fitness program and mm-hmm. because it's, it's very highly competitive. Um, whereas yep. years ago, if you had a pretty good golf swing and you could putt well, um, you know, you could, you could uh, win just about all the golf tournaments. And that's where you saw yeah. players like Nicholas and, and Palmer and, and all the others that racked up the wins. But by today's standards, they don't compare to um, you know, today's young golfer. Um, but yeah. I think the, the thing that you have to do first, and, and I want you to talk about this, is you don't want to just get into any old routine or, or, or fitness program and that. It's really about dialing in through an assessment. You want to get assessed first. Mm-hmm to look at some of the key areas. So talk about the, that process from your standpoint. What is it you're wanting them to do? What is it you're looking for? And then sort of unpack how you help them from that point moving forward. 
Yeah, for sure. So, and you know, I, if, if people take nothing else from from our, our chat tonight, yeah, it really, it, it assess, don't guess. And and before you jump into something, just like you said, Ted, like we really want to know like what specific, just going to the gym and working out for two hours. I get so many of these guys and they have a list front page and back of all these different things they do. It's like we literally could get more for you in like 15 minutes than what you're doing in the hour and 15 minutes that you're in there. And so when we look right. at, you know, through all the research, basically what we did, we, we said, all right, let's look at every assessment that everybody does and let's, we're going to test everybody and then we're going to, you know, basically kind of whittle it down to what are, what are the core things that actually matter for a golfer? And so where we've come to at this point is there's really, there's kind of, there's, there's a, a four main rotational centers that every golfer needs to be able to pass in order, in order for us to say, Hey, you know, if they're working with a golf professional and golf professional wants you to get to X position, if you pass these four main rotary tests, there's no reason why you can't get there. If you mm-hmm. don't pass to any of those four, then golf right. is going to be hard, and you're going to have to you're going to have to figure out workarounds and compensations. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and I think the cool thing just with those four tests is a lot of times it's a light bulb moment for golfers, uh, particularly the the two big joints that people struggle with, uh, the hips and the shoulders. If you're if you fail those tests, which over 80% of golfers, the average amateur, amateur golfers do. It's like nearly impossible to not come over the top because because you don't right. rotate correctly. It's you have to introduce like you know extra side to sway and slide, so side to side movement. You have to introduce standing up on a posture. You know we call it forward and back movement, and because you can't rotate, so you have to come up with all these compensatory movements. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. when we look at we kind of cross reference all the data and we say, hey, what are the injury rates in people, and what are the common things that we see? of the people that do get hurt and do, do struggle with injury. And if you don't pass any of the rotational centers, A, getting into the positions performance-wise are going to be difficult, but B, you're, when we talk about longevity is kind of one of the biggest goals for most golfers we work with, longevity is threatened. And the likelihood of injury is, is definitely elevated when you don't uh, have the ability to rotate in these areas because then you have to come up with compensatory movements. And that's where we see a lot of backs get, you know, back hurt, back injuries, elbow injuries. And we get all the golfers come into our facility and like, Oh, I got a bad back. I got a bad back. And we look and their <laughs> hips move, you know, it's supposed to move, you know, 45 degrees and it moves five degrees. And we're like, uh, well, no. So we have to go through the whole extension. Well, sir, your, your back actually is fine. That's just where it hurts. Your hip actually doesn't right. move at all. And your back's just trying to help out. And the friendly neighbor, the back basically has said, all right, enough's enough. I'm tired of mowing the next door neighbor's lawn. And now, now it's right. Hurt. And so the, the, we have to fix the hip. When the hip can mow his own lawn, then all of a sudden the back, all he has to worry about itself, and then your back pain goes away. And that's where I think one of the biggest light bulb moments for anyone listening is in golfers, where, where we see the pain very rarely is the actual problem. It usually is stemming from one of these big four rotary centers. And, um, but that's, that's where we start with it. And, there's, there's, and we can talk more about the strength and power and all that sort of element too. But that, you know, eight out of ten golfers – starting there, if you can improve that and if you do the right stuff, less than four weeks, we see those things improve. It takes less than five minutes to do the assessment of those five, four areas. Like that right, that right there is a massive win for so many golfers to remove such an unknown and, and now all of a sudden you know what your body can do. The game's hard enough. There, there's no, no reason to have additional challenges and hurdles to work through. Yeah, and you raised some, some great points. And I think, you know, 
a lot of people focus on their swing mechanics and so forth, and obviously you have to be brushed up on those, and you, that's where your, your teaching pro and your, or your coach comes in. Um, but a lot of things that we see, and I, and I think you'd probably agree with this, is a lack of proper rotation. You know, for instance, yep. we'll see a lot of times because of either injury or uh, an inability, you'll see a lot of arm swing. So, um, you know, they're not rotating their upper body, their hips are not moving, engaged properly. So what they do is they compensate. Um, so they just swing their arms back and say, okay, well, yeah, my, my arms are up at the top. I can see my hands and the clubs, you know, pointing somewhere mm-hmm. in the right direction. And then now they've got to, you know, come through the downswing. But because they haven't rotated properly, they're making, as you said, all these other moves in order to compensate mm-hmm. uh, to avoid, you know, the old reverse pivot or what have you yeah. uh, or falling back on the right foot. And then that adds to the injury, whether an existing one or creates new injuries in the back or what have you, because they're not making proper rotation. So when you're doing these assessments, you're obviously looking to see, okay, are they making these proper moves? And I'm not talking about every, you know, necessarily golf move, but you're looking for certain key things. What are some of the things that you're looking for? Yeah, so in the mobility part of the assessment, and, um, you know, it's it's really simple. We're looking for... um, you know, for the neck, it's very simple for anyone listening to, to visualize. If you turn your neck over your left shoulder, your chin should go past your collarbone, and then you should be able to bend your chin down and touch your collarbone without shrugging your shoulder or opening your mouth. Those are the two cheats we see there. That's very easy to visualize, right? And so a lot of people don't think of neck rotation. But if you think of, you know, looking at the ball, you know, your, your shoulders mm-hmm. are going to rotate around, and, you know, ideally the eyes stay on the ball. Um, that's actually, you know, to your lead side, so to the left side for a right-handed player and to the right side for a left-handed player. Neck rotation is critical. Um, if we don't, if we lack that, then we will tend to see people standing up or arching weird to try to <laughs> be able to continue to see the golf ball. Um, so that's right. probably the easiest one. Um, you know, so if anyone listening, if you, if you struggle to check your blind spot, you probably are not going to do great on the neck test. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, the... Uh, <laughs> The other kind of easier one uh, to explain just, you know, uh, you know, in this format would be, you know, if somebody, if you figure, figure you're sitting in a chair, uh, you have your knees and your feet together, you cross your arms over your shoulders, and you just kind of keep your, your knees together and straight forward, and you try to kind of turn your upper body. Um, and if you think of, you know, if you did a, a kind of turning halfway, that would be 45 degrees. If you turned totally sideways, that'd be 90 degrees. Um, and then that, that we want to see pretty close to 60 degrees if, if you know if anyone listening is you know a competitive you know plays professionally or, or collegiately or you're under the age of you know 35 probably you want to see right. more of you know 70 70 degrees um mm-hmm. but you know that, and that's where we get in we can get you know when we do the assessment that we and it's a free assessment for people to do you know they, they can see kind of for their age like what's what's right what's wrong you know am i close am i am i, am I in the wrong not even in the same zip code um, yeah, the, so the, those are the two kind of that the, whenever I do a presentation to people, I joke with them. I say, all right, we're going to start with these two because I want you to like me, and most people will pass those. I, I right. save the other two, which <laughs> which people don't necessarily pass for the end. Um, and so I try to warm them up. I, I kind of joke with them. But, but but the other two are the there's a shoulder, a shoulder what's called the external rotation test, and then a hip internal rotation test. So the ro- type of rotation that you need in your shoulder uh, if it's really, if you think of your trail arm, it's most prevalent as you're coming in the downswing, kind of as that club mm-hmm. kind of shallows out and you drop it in the slot, you know, that's called, there's a, a need of external rotation in the shoulder. And, you know, and people can, we'd, we'd actually set up a, a page for any of the listeners at parforsuccess.com slash golf talk 
and I would recommend you guys go take the assessment and actually, because then you, there's a video of like showing you how to do the test. This one's pretty hard to describe on, <laughs> on air. Right. Um, but that's, that's incredibly important. Um, I think to note for everybody that particularly on your trail side. Um, so the shoulder test, it's important on both sides. Don't get me wrong. But if, if you fail on your trail side, good luck, like not coming over the top or having an upper body initiated downswing. It's really, really hard because you're, you're fighting basically a brick wall every time you're swinging the golf club. Um, and that's mm-hmm. a lot of times we'll see back issues, elbow issues because the shoulder doesn't move. And then we have to, you know, cheat a lot with, with that area. Um, the, the doozy though, <laughs> the absolute, the, the absolute doozy Ted is the hips. I swear it's <laughs> 9.5 out of 10 people. We'll have, we'll have, we'll have people on like a, we'll do like, we do a lot of zoom workshops and I love, we'll un, I'll unmute, you know, they got a hundred people in the room. I'll unmute it. All right, everybody do this test. And you just hear a collective, Oh, ow, <laughs> my hips cramping. <laughs> and there's right. always the one guy that says, that says, is it supposed to move? <laughs> you know, uh, it's just <laughs> the, the movement that we're looking for is it's called internal rotation. So the easiest way to visualize it for anyone listening would be thinking of, of your golf swing. When you take your back swing, you internally rotate into your trail leg. So that's, that's mm-hmm. what internal rotation is into your trail leg. And then as you come down through impact and into follow through, you have to internally rotate into your lead leg. So people who struggle with this, you know, you talked about reverse pivot, reverse weight shift. We'll see yep. that front foot spins out and it starts, you know, <laughs> perpendicular to the target and it ends up with the big toe point to the target or even past the target. You know, we see all these different, you know, issues with people because the hips don't work. And it's, it is actually the number one predictor of low back pain, uh, which uh, actually impacts like 60% of golfers at some point or the other. Um, so it, it's, and just unfortunately with the way that we live in the Western world where we, you know, we sit at desks, we sit in our cars, we don't really ever move into internal rotation, except when we go play golf and we expect to do it at a hundred plus miles an hour as fast as we can. And then we wonder why we hurt because <laughs> we don't ever train it. And then we expect to go, you know, Hey, let's swing as hard as I can and hit this driver. And, Oh, I wonder why my, my back hurts. Um, so well, and, those, and are, think, the, those yeah. are the big two. Yeah, and I think, Chris, part of the problem, too, is, uh, again, lack of, of practice and, and you yeah. know, n- really not understanding the, the correct movements. You know, we see, I mean, mm-hmm. we see this as swing coaches. We see a lot of people going in there, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, they think they're they're making a good backswing because they've moved their arms and their shoulders a little bit, but they haven't yep. actually rotated their upper body. Uh, and their hips, yep. like you said, they're, they're still fairly square to the target line. Um, they haven't moved to that 45-degree and again, even if they can't move to a full 90 degrees, they should certainly be at least 60 or more. And a lot of them, you don't even see that. Again, obviously age appropriate, yep. but um, you don't even see that. Their their shoulders are pretty much still, you know, very uh, square to the target line, but their arms yep. are slung around, and they get caught, they get stuck in behind in the in the backswing. Yep. Now they've got to, you know, be Houdini, um, and I'm dating myself, <laughs> yeah. uh, to to be able to get out. Uh, from behind that yep. that uh, cramped backswing, in order to get their butt, yep. so their hips start to slide or sway or what have you, in order to oh, get yeah. to the other yeah, side. And if they're not six, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's changed. So here's some things I, I want you to cover a little bit. And again, I, again, I know we can't um, visually see uh, on the program here, so we're going to direct them obviously to to go to your website after to see a lot of these things, uh, whether it be through video or what have you. Um, but there's there's golf specific training. Uh, for different areas. Um, for instance, mm-hmm. 
for somebody that's looking for more longevity, so maybe uh, some folks that want to be able to play well into their golden years, um, there's specific training for those that want longevity. Mm -hmm. So let's touch on that. What, just give us an example, an overview, if you would. What are you looking to do here um, that maybe you might not do with, say, because you, you cover things for training for those younger players that maybe you're looking to play yep. collegiately. That's going to be a whole different kettle of fish. So let's talk about some yep. of the, the longevity training that you do or uh, that you offer and then maybe touch on some of for younger players. What are they doing differently than maybe what we might be doing? Yeah, so so at, in actuality, pretty all, all of them will start in the same in the same spot where we look at the the ability to rotate. Um, a lot of the younger guys and girls tend to pass that just right off the bat. A lot of our older players, um, and I say older, but you know, let's say forty and right. up, um, you know, definitely that's where they struggle. And you know, and to your point of like people thinking they're rotating but not really knowing what what it is. The interesting thing that we've seen in studies we've done is when we look at people come in and they don't pass those rotational centers, we'll look at them in, in, all, in all our 3D captures, and their sequences are like, you know, if we took 10 swings, it, it looks like literally a different human being swung a golf club 10, 10 different times, but I swear it was the same person. And so, you know, when you, it, struck, it struck a chord when you said Houdini, you know, if they can Houdini it, you know, they hit that one and they're like, oh my gosh, I, why can't I do that every time? And it's like, well, it's because your body's moving 10 different ways in the 10 different swings. And so right. when we look at the actual, tr the training that we would want to do, step one is going to be, we, we want to look at really uh, getting the tissue healthy and, and cleaning up, you know, all any adhesions or, or, you know, trigger points. So big fancy words, uh, the easiest way to visualize it, if anyone's listening, if you have a sleeve on your shirt, if you grab the underarm of your sleeve under kind of like your upper arm and you pull it down to your side with your, let's say, grab your left sleeve and pull it down to your left side with your right hand, hold it there and now try to raise your left arm. Like your left arm's not going to move anywhere. It's stuck because the sleeve's holding you down, right? Mm -hmm. All of our muscles, and this is particularly rampant in the older, every decade we go, um, you know, every sleeve has, every muscle has a sleeve around it, just like your arm. So if you think of your arm as the muscle and your, your sleeve is, what's called fascia. That's the fancy scientific word for it. Basically what happens as we get older and as we, you know, if we're not taking care of our tissue, think of it where like you almost get duct tape that kind of gets stuck and that's kind of like your hand and it doesn't let the arm move, right? So all of a sudden you don't pass the shoulder test, your hips don't rotate. And so what we want to do when we talk about the type of training that we want to do, the first thing that we do with I would say 98% of people is that we want to kind of rip the duct tape off so that all of a sudden, if you let go of that sleeve with your right hand, all of a sudden the arm moves again, right? And there's an immediate gain in, in mobility. And so that's where we use soft tissue tools. Like, you know, there's you can you could go the fancy route and get the Theraguns and all those fancy tools. You could also go the more so what we do is, you know, grab a lacrosse ball or a baseball or a softball, um, use the use the, the butt end of your, of your golf club. And, and there's specific ways to use all these tools depending on where the restriction is. But in, in general, that is the biggest return on investment in terms of time for most golfers. If you have 15 minutes, you know, five days a week, in four weeks you could pass every single rotational test. And once we've done that, then we get to all the fun stuff, which is, you know, looking at your lower body power and your upper body power and, and, and then training those areas. And I think, you know, you had asked, you know, what's the difference between, you know, the young guys, what do they do versus the older group? In the older group, it's going to, in general, we as a the golf swing and the requirements of the of the sport don't change, right, Ted? 
Like you still have to hit right. a golf ball the same way. <laughs> the difference is the right. amount of force that a that a eighteen year old can <clears throat> typically produce as opposed to the sixty five year old, right? And so when we're talking right. about longevity, that's where the, I think the other cool thing when we do the assessment everyone can do uh, that we've been talking about for free. The mobility is the first part. The cool second part is we can look at what's your current club head speed and we can see what percentile you are for your age group. So how do you compare to everybody else in your age group? Are you average? Are you fast? Are you slow? And then there's two tests that one test tests your lower body uh, power. So it's like a, like a vertical leap. And the other tests your upper body push power. Think of a medicine ball and you do like a chest pass when you're sitting down. Those two tests across the 6,000 plus people we've tested statistically have what's called a causative impact on club head speed, meaning if they go up, club head speed goes up. So what we're able to now do is then say, use those as markers and say, okay, let's say, let's say, Ted, you swing in the 90th percentile. So you swing really fast for your age group. But let's say mm-hmm. you're, and this, we'll see this a lot with single digit players. Let's say now your, your lower body power is in the 20th percentile. So you're not, you're on the very low end and your upper body power maybe is in the 40th percentile, right? So you're very low on the power of physical numbers, but you're very high on your speed. When, with right. that type, there's actually there's three there's three categories of golfers that we that we kind of break people into. In this category, we have high speed and low strength and power. Um, that's called a ticking time bomb. Is what we call it. <laughs> Basically, if there's more than uh, twenty more than fifteen points between your speed and your strength numbers, that gap we call that an injury gap. So, for, in that mm-hmm. instance, if this is you know anyone listening, if you take the test and that's you, your you know number one is get the mobility set cool. But number two is now we need to get your strength numbers up so that we can close that gap. If if you go and go do speed training, let's say, because there's lots of speed tools out there, you're mm-hmm. going to be like one of the 85 people in the study we did that got hurt doing speed training, and every single one of them either failed a mobility test and or had more than a 20-point gap or 15-point gap. <laughs> um, it was like it was resounding, like almost 100 people and every single person got hurt. They got hurt, fit this profile. So for that person, this is not typically your younger, or sometimes it can be your younger kid, but t- def- this is probably the most common in the older group. This person, it's really, it's basic, you know, squat patterns and hinge patterns and, and not necessarily, you know, we're not looking to do 400 pounds, but we want to improve your ability to, to stabilize and create force through the ground. And ultimately what we want to do is we want to improve your ability to have good breaks. So that if you are swinging fast, you, you, you know, let's say you're driving your Porsche down the road at 150 miles an hour and there's a hairpin turn, you don't want to have 1985 rusted brakes on the car. <laughs> you, you want right. to have the good brakes to pull you down <laughs> to be able to control it. And unfortunately, a lot of our older, a lot of our amateur golfers, we're, we're trying to swing really fast with rusted brakes. And that's where the strength and yep. the, the, the getting stronger really helps. I always call it the stronger you are, the thicker your armor is. And the thicker your armor is, the more swings you can do, the faster you can go, and you won't get hurt. Um, so that's the big – there's three three profiles, but that's the, the <laughs> most common profile we see is what we call a ticking time bomb where, um, you know, people are as a, you know pretty efficient technically. They have generally the right equipment. This is your typical your single-digit player. Um, but their power numbers are just like in the, in the cellar. And if that person's looking for longevity – that's where kind of getting stronger in the right areas and then in the right ways for them is incredibly important. Well, and, and it, this goes to the longevity problem is, you know, it's great to have the fast uh, swing speed, as you said, but if you're basically if your core and your body is not supporting it, then long-term what's going to happen is then the injuries are going to start happening more and more frequently uh, and more severe yep. as time goes on. 
So, you know, much like in the golf swing, you have to build a solid base to work from because your feet, uh, first and foremost, touch the ground and then you work your way up. So if, you're, if your body is not, and again, that doesn't mean you have to be necessarily an athlete, but you've got to be able to support the golf swing because even though, you know, this is where people sort of have a misunderstanding about golf. I think because it's not a contact sport like football or, or some others um, that you don't have to be in real great shape as long as you can swing the golf club. Well, that's true to a point, but over time, um, your body will prevent you from swinging the golf club as efficiently because, again, as we age, you lose certain mobility and, and your, your muscles and that change and, and deplete and so forth. But there's, there's programs and there's specific training, which we're talking about here, that can help. Uh, again, it's not going to alleviate everything as we get up into our 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, again, it's age-appropriate, but it, it's going to help with that solid base and that solid core to be able to help you enjoy it at a higher level for a much longer period of time. And that's why you see, I think, Christian, you would agree, why you see so many older golfers that don't do this and don't really focus on the body. Um, once they get older, you know, suddenly they were, you know, for years they were shooting in the 70s, then it started to go up into the 80s, then the 90s. Now they can't break 100. And it's like, well, ah, what's the point? Yeah. And they just, you know, the, the dust starts collecting on the clubs. And it's because they haven't done their work, uh, not just, and, and, yep. they're, and they're trying to buy, they're trying to buy their game by, you know, changing equipment. Well, I'll get a new, the latest new driver that's going to get 10, 20 yards. But the truth of the matter is, yep. is their body is, is what needs to be uh, brought up to snuff. So you offer, yep. uh, I want to get this because, you know, we're going to end up running out of time at some point. We've got a little bit of time left here, but um, you've got a, a number of different, uh, for example, adult golf uh, personal training options. Um, mm-hmm. You've got actually three options Tell us a little bit about each. I mean, they're very self-explanatory, but tell us a little bit about each and what typically are you finding people are more often not uh, signing up for? Uh, you've got the virtual, uh, in-house, obviously, and hybrid. Tell us a little bit about each, yep. um, what's involved, how they work, and what are you finding typically most of the older golfers tend to uh, subscribe to? Yeah, great question. So the... I would say the in-person, obviously, is that's kind of how we started, right? So we you know, we work in locally, and um, so if anyone's in the Raleigh area or you know within you know, generally driving distance, or <laughs> we get a lot of people coming from the north going to Florida in the in the winter, and they stop in you know <laughs> as well. Um, that's where you know basically everything we do starts with an assessment, and so in-house, it's you know we're looking at the mobility, everything we talked about, we're looking at the power, the strength. Um, in-house is cool because we have force plates and the 3D, so you can get all the technology as people are swinging just to see what their body's doing. But, but the in-house is typically, you know, people are coming in, they're working out in, you know, small groups or doing one-on-one day stuff kind of in our, you know, in our state-of-the-art facility. Um, and then we have kind of the, the opposite of that is, is our virtual side, which we started um, doing probably five years ago before it was cool, mm-hmm. <laughs> before COVID right. and, and virtual was kind of what everybody did. Um, and really the goal that we had there when we started was, we weren't going to launch that, you know, beyond, you know, you know, probably 20, 25 people until we were confident we got the same results virtually as we do in person. So that's where a lot of the, you know, if you haven't, if you can't, haven't already figured out that I'm a bit of a nerd. I love research and data. And so, <laughs> so we, 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 tracked, we, we tracked everything and, and we got to the point, you know, kind of happenstance, you know, end of 2019 and 2020, we're like, okay, we, this, we get the same, we can get the same results because we know we can do we know how to do the rotary centers uh you know virtually so when people sign up to do virtual we do the whole assessment with them live we do the, the 
mobility testing, the power testing. We show them how to do um, the strength testing. They can do it all, uh, you know, in their home. We have we had one guy in the UK who was doing it with rocks in his backyard. Um, he, he found rocks and weighed them out to, to different to the different weights that he wanted. Um, so really, that you know, virtually we don't we have uh, you know hundreds of people at this point who we've never actually physically seen in person, but they work one on one with our coaches. You know, doing the assessment, we retest every couple of weeks just to you know to update their their individual program. We have our own app, and there's videos, and they can you know message back and forth with their coach, and they're basically doing you know personal training or one on one training you know, a couple times a week with their coaches, you know, from the comfort of their own home or if they belong to a gym, you know, wherever they're at. Um, so that's been an, an amazing option for people. You know, we got in Australia, Japan, you know, all around the U.S., right. Canada. I mean, mm-hmm. it's been real. that's been a really cool way for us to share the, the data and, and kind of the science with people around the world. And then the third option is we have a lot of guys, you know, more of those, those snowbirds who, you know, maybe they live in Michigan and they're driving down to Florida in the, in the you know, in the winter. They may, a lot of them will kind of, you know, they may stop in person, do an assessment, um, and then they'll do, so they'll do kind of in person you know, for a day or two, and then they'll do virtual, you know, when they're not there. Um, so right. a lot of people will come in once a month or once a, once a quarter to do check-ins in person, and then we leverage the technology to, to continue working with them and, and progressing them that way. So it's been cool to kind of have those, to develop those three because really we can help anyone anywhere in the world you know, regardless of, of what they have and if they have a full gym, if they have a couple bands and a couple rocks in their backyard, <laughs> you know, you know, and, and we're able to get them the results, which is really cool. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is people want to, um, you know, that's what they're looking for is they're looking for results. What can I do um, to make it more enjoyable? I mean, people want to have, you know, this is, as I was just talking about a, a few moments ago, is this is sort of the deciding factor. What's the fun factor in golf? If I'm at a point now where I'm no longer enjoying the game because I'm not scoring well, I'm not playing very well, um, am I going to continue? So people are yep. looking for ways of how to get better. Um, the beauty of a beginning golfer is you've got a fresh canvas to work from. So you can take them right from the get-go and you can say, here's what you need to do if you want to be able to play this game and be successful. I don't mean necessarily being a tour player or whatnot, but if you want to have... Uh, good results as a, and become a, a better player, you need to start now. And that's where, obviously, the junior programs are, are, are very effective in. But for the older golfers, there's a lot of people that have, and I know even pre-COVID, there were a lot of people that drifted away from the game that just said, you know, I'm just frustrated and what have you, and then they sort of got a second wind. So this is a real yep. opportunity for somebody like yourself to say, okay, you know, you've come back to the game, uh, you struggled a little bit before you got got out of the game, we can do some things. Let's get an assessment. And that's really the key is, is the important is let's get, a set, get an assessment going, see where you're at and what areas we can improve you in. Because I think once they do that and they understand why they're doing what they're doing or not doing what they should be doing, then I think it's going to be easier for them, assuming they're a willing participant uh, in some of the programs, um, they're going to see that improvement and they're going to have more enjoyment in the game. And that's really what you're looking for um, is you want your customers to be able to come back and say, hey, wow. And I know you've got some yeah. some great uh, testimonials on your website so the folks can, can go and see mm-hmm. that after the show. But um, and, and those are people that have made the commitment. As an instructor, as a coach, um, on the swing side of things, one of the biggest hurdles we have is getting people to commit to doing the things that we need them to do. 
What do you do? I mean, you have a little bit of more advantage because now you're dealing with health and that. You're talking about nutrition mm-hmm. and trying to get people. What do you do or how do you approach things a little bit differently than maybe what we might do in getting people to follow through on what you need them to do? Yeah, so I think, and you've mentioned it a couple of times, that it's just the longevity and the enjoyment. Mm-hmm. It's going to be different for everybody. I think the first thing mm-hmm. that we do, which you know, all good instructors do, is you figure out, like, why are you here? You know, As you were talking, I was thinking about right. Uh, you know, one of our guys, uh, you know, John, who's 73, he started because he had a family golf tournament every year in Kentucky, and he was the mm-hmm. D player, and he was so embarrassed. And he's like, I just want to stop right. being embarrassed. And he started when he was like 68, right? So where he's four years right. in. He, he just came in last week, and he said, I have the best news. I got to thank you. I'm so excited. I said, well, what? He said, well, it's twofold. He said, number one, at the end of the event this year, I got promoted to a C player. And he was like, oh, he, right. was, he was so excited. <laughs> but then he said, he said, he said, but more importantly, what really was cool is I was one of only two guys over the age of 70 who was still playing. There were other guys who were in wheelchairs or, you know, and he goes, and that just motivated me that I just have to continue to show up and just do what I need to do based on what, you know, the tests are saying. And, and I think that, you know, what you, you just mentioned, like the game is still fun for him because his body is allowing him to continue to practice and get better. And, and I think one of the big things that we've leveraged and that we do you know, very differently is because of all the science that we have and because we continually are testing every couple of weeks, we're able to keep a program very narrow and, and focused. And mm-hmm. you know, I joke that I've, very rarely do I ever meet a golfer who's a gym rat. I meet golfers who go to the gym right. to help their golf game, <laughs> right? right? And so you know, what, what we've been able to, fit, to really kind of narrow down is if we can get people to commit at least 90 minutes a week so 15 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, a day, you know, we're able mm-hmm. to see, you know, fan- phenomenal results in terms of, you know, people gaining yards every year and, and, you know, feeling good and staying healthy. And, and so, you know, that, I think the key that the advantage that we've had is because we know how to do it. And so that it's really minimal effective dose, people start seeing wins. And these guys who come in, they're like, I don't, I'm not a gym rat. I'm just here to gain 10 yards okay, cool, mm-hmm. and then they're up 20 yards, and you're like, why are you still here? And you're like, they're like, well, because it's addicting, and I don't want to go back. <laughs> right? Right. And that guy may have started it. <laughs> right? that, that guy may have started it 15 minutes a day, but then you know, after the you know, second or third testing and he's seeing how much better he's getting, he's like, hey, you know what? I, I could find like two days a week to do 30 minutes, right? And then it's just kind of these slow little wins, and, you know, the psychology of all great coaches, right? And the, and the, mm-hmm. and the the golfer's like, hey, give me more, give me more. Okay, we'll give you a little more, we'll give you a little more. Right? The key is that we don't overwhelm people. Do it right. in a way where they can digest it, they understand why they're doing everything that they're doing. And then it's objective. And so we, you know, every time, it's where I was, hey, this is where you were, this is where you are now. If this is your goal, this is where we want to be. And so it's just continually being very transparent and, and using objective information with people and as, as well as really understanding who they are as humans. You know, just like John, yes, it was about, not embarrassing himself and at his family, you know, at golf outings and getting up to a C player. But the bigger, the bigger deal was still being able to do it at 70, still being able to get up off the ground after he plays with his grandkids and feel okay. Right. There's those other elements that are really cool too. Yeah. And, and I want to just touch very quickly on this as we get close uh, to the end of our time. Um, The other uh, aspect of it, we talked a little bit about it in the very beginning and that is the actual physical therapy part because, you know, yep. in addition to all the training programs that you guys offer, you guys also get to the root cause and, you know, and not just mm-hmm. treating the symptoms like so many 
uh, out there. They say, well, I got a pain, so I'm just going to do this. And, you know, they, they put the proverbial bandage on it, but that doesn't really get to the root cause. And you talked about the, right. with the rotation that if, you know, maybe their hips are not uh, rotating correctly, so it's causing the back pain and so on and so forth. I mean, certainly I'm not an expert in this area, but you know what I'm getting at. Um, so this is something that you you've guys... Seen it, you've seen it enough, Ted. <laughs> oh, I know. I've, I've experienced a few of my days, so uh, I'm in that crowd getting there anyways. But, um, but no, so, so you're actually doing that as well. You, you know, you're dealing not just with uh, golfers that maybe have some, some mild issues. You've got some golfers as well that have maybe uh, some, some more severe issues. So you're getting to the root cause and, and, and sort of diagnosing, okay, here's what's going on and this is what's happening. Um, because once they understand what's causing it, the cause and effect, as we say in, in the swing side of things, um, then you're able to put together a program, whether it be through you know uh, a, a healthcare professional or what have you that they're they're dealing with. You're able to help them uh, alleviate some of the issues, correct? Oh, 100 percent, Ted. And and yeah, I think here, here's the the truth, particularly when we're talking about longevity, is some people will get into like working with us because they you know, are so hurt they can't swing anymore. Other people will get into it because, you know, I feel fine. I just, I want to gain some yards. And other people will be like, I just don't want to, I just don't want to lose anything. At the end of the day, the longevity journey is ups and downs and there's going to be injuries. And if you don't have, I think the really important thing for me and what we do at Par Success is that every person that we work with has an entire team around them. Like we give our professional, like our professional touring players, Right, they have they have right. a physio, they have their strength coach. Um, you know, we all communicate with you know the the swing instructor, and and it's because at some you know you may come in totally healthy, and then you go out on a golf trip, play you know ton of golf, and all of a sudden you get a little flare up. Well, the beauty is that we can that we can address that before it becomes a massive problem, because we know why it's happening, and we can kind of nip it in the bud. Or you know we get we just had a guy come in today. He's he's having a knee replacement in eight weeks. And he's like, the most mm-hmm. important thing for me is I want to be able to play golf at week 12. So I want, I'm here to right. prehab to make, and make sure everything else is good so that I'm back playing golf as quick as I can, right? And so his initial was, hey, I have something medical coming up. Help me f- so that I make sure I get back quicker. And uh, you know, the, it has to be enjoyable. Longevity means father time is coming. He doesn't stop coming. <laughs> he's going he's mm-hmm. to knock us down. I think the key is when your body's in a, in a good place, you can get back up in a couple of days. You're not down for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Uh, and, that, and that's the, yeah. the incredible and, and important thing. Yeah, the, preven- the prevention, if you will, uh, or preparation leading up to something like that is equally as important, you know, as opposed to just waiting uh, for it to be symptomatic and then uh, it becomes a, a much uh, bigger issue down the road and now you're, you're reactive to the problem as opposed to being preactive, or, or sorry, proactive, excuse me. Um, and, and that's just what this gentleman you, you just mentioned about is, is doing. Is he, he knows that there's an upcoming, uh, you know, medical condition that's, that's going to re, um, require some surgery. So he knows that if he's better prepared for it going in, his recovery time is going to be much quicker, uh, and he gets back to, to doing what he enjoys doing as opposed to sitting around for, you know, three to six months because he, he wasn't, you know, uh, doing any. And, and that's true, and that's what happens, whether it's the knee or hip or what have you back. Um, you know, we have to prevent things, and, and um, the more you know up front. One last thing I want to ask you as far as the assessments. How often do you think, um, realistically, do you think the average golfer at, um, that plays with some sort of regularity, how often should they should they be assessing themselves or have that assessment done? Yeah. They're going to do, obviously, initial so, assessment, but how often do you recommend yeah. that they, they go through that process again to, to follow up? 
Yeah, great question, Ted. And, and the, we always say, yeah, do the initial assessment and then use it as kind of a, a barometer throughout the year. So what, what I tell people is if you're playing, you know, regularly, like two, three times a week, you're practicing, I, we, we recommend doing the mobility testing every, every four weeks, so basically once a month. You'd be surprised how quickly something can change uh, in terms of something yep. tightens up or whatnot. Or, you know. So we say mobility generally once a month. Any of, then the power testing, we say, generally about every 8 to 12 weeks, depending on what your workout regimen looks like. But So at least kind of quarterly, just test your power, see where it's at. It's, it's, kinda, it's common to see fluctuations, particularly during the season. Um, but it allows you to catch, you know, nip things in the bud and then see where it's at. But definitely mobility monthly. Uh, and, and if you're doing the right things, you should see the mobility improve and then stay good. Uh, and then obviously you should see your power and speed numbers and all that sort of stuff should increase. And, you know, if you're not working out as much, if you're doing at least the bare minimum, it should maintain. Perfect. Um, so now the, the most important part is where can our listeners go to get more information? What's the website? Uh, and... Um, how can they go about uh, getting an assessment done? Yeah, for sure, Ted. So um, we actually we set up a special page for all the listeners. Uh, so they can go to par for success, P-A-R, number four, success.com slash golf talk. Uh, and you guys will see there, you can just put in your email and we'll we'll shoot it over to you. shouldn't take you more than five minutes to go through the mobility, maybe another five minutes to do the power test. Um, but everybody will see, you can see how you compare to other golfers and all those tests and speeds. And uh, there's videos showing you how to do the tests. And then we also... Uh, we're going to throw in, if anybody um, wants, we also throw in a free uh, call. You guys can call us on a Zoom call, and we'll we'll kind of talk to you talk you through exactly how you did, you know, what, what it means, and, and give you guys some ideas of stuff that you can do. So it's uh, parforsuccess.com slash golf talk, uh, and anybody listening, you guys can grab that free assessment, and, uh, and we'll also give you a free consult just to kind of give you some ideas of making sure you have a clear path to longevity and what that means for you. Perfect. Um, so for the assessment, everybody go to uh, par4success.com forward slash golf talk. And if you want to just check out the website as a general whole uh, and see all of the other uh, information there, you can just go to par4success.com. Chris, I want to thank you very much for coming on and really sort of unpacking a lot. Of, I know there's probably a thousand things that we could uh, continue to talk about, but there's a lot of information. I want them to go to your website, uh, par4success.com get all of the information, and gonna again, go to that special link that uh, Chris has set up for the listeners here, powerforsuccess.com forward slash golf talk, and you get a free assessment uh, uh, there as well. So, um, But I want to thank you for coming on, and uh, I think you've got a great uh, great business. I'm glad that you stuck with it. And uh, even though at an early age you weren't too sure whether golf was going to be for you, <laughs> but uh, you found that navigated a, a, a channel that uh, obviously has made you uh, very successful, and and obviously you enjoy doing what you're doing, and, and uh, you're doing a great – this is an area that's, as I've said before many times on the show, is an area that's really overlooked by a lot of our, our everyday golfers. The pros now obviously have access to a lot of great uh, uh, training and, and, and so forth <clears throat> Excuse me, to, to get themselves in, and not just into shape but to maintain uh, for their longevity. Um, and I think it's about time the amateur golfers started doing the same, and this is a great way, a great start uh, to, to the process. So thank you very much for coming on uh, Golf Talk Live, and I hope you come back and, and uh, visit me real soon. For sure, Ted. Really appreciate you having me on. Have a great night. All right, you too. All right, thanks. All right, that was uh, Chris Finn. He's the founder and CEO of uh, Par for Success. And again, if you go to parforsuccess.com forward slash golf talk, uh, the brings up the direct link, and you'll see right there as a 
friend of mine, you'll uh, they'll send you a free assessment, and you'll also receive a free strategy call with a golf fitness professional to get you the best custom plan possible. So please take advantage of that. It's a very simple uh, process to do. It doesn't take very long, and uh, you can be well on your way to improving uh, your golf game. Save that money, and don't go out and spend money on a brand-new uh, driver thinking you're going to get extra yards when maybe it's your body that needs to, to get assessed and looked at uh, and get you in the proper shape for golf. Um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. Uh, as always, hope you enjoyed the broadcast. Thanks again to my special friend, uh, Pete Buchanan, for joining me earlier on the Golf uh, Coaches Corner panel here on Golf Talk Live. Always have a great discussion on the panel. I'll be back next week with another uh, panel and another great uh, interview guest. I hope you'll join me. God bless everybody and have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.